ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this week's edition of the Lashing Out Podcast and in the Esports Now Network. He's Kevin Quigley. I'm Jared Prugar. Kevin, we're talking about Indiana this week, but let's not get there just yet. I don't think we're going to have a lot to talk about. So let's talk a little bit about Penn State Media Day, Penn State in the uh, Big Ten Media Day on Wednesday and Thursday in Indianapolis. Obviously, that is the goal for the Nitty Lions to get back to Lucas Oil Stadium at the end of every season. But one of the cool things about it this year is obviously James Franklin is speaking, but it was brought up about playing a neutral site game, a pseudo neutral site game indoors in November. And that is going to end up being a huge resource for the Nittany Lions in the Big Ten if they're going to have access to Ford Field that late in the season. Yeah, anytime that you can take the elements away from a road game, it's beneficial to you. Not that Penn State doesn't know what cold weather is being in central Pennsylvania, but Michigan has a tendency to be significantly colder, especially earlier in the year. Penn State, it's I mean, especially Pennsylvania the last few years, it's been kind of a mild winter, so maybe the players aren't as acclimated to the cold weather. It certainly takes out any sort of fluky snow game, really dreary, wet, 42-degree late November day that it typically uses is around Thanksgiving um, in central PA. So anytime that you can take that out of the equation, it is going to be advantage to the road team. Um, and it becomes a fairer game. It comes a true test of who is the better team. If it's 72 degrees and no wind in the, in the dome, you're going to find out who the better football team is. I know people don't like domes. They don't like the artificial turf for some potentially, uh, uh, for some potentially contested views on whether or not turf creates more knee injuries or whatnot. Um, but yeah, you know, it'll be a true matchup against Michigan state and Penn state could be on, be on the verge of sealing an undefeated season at that time too. Yeah. And I think that, you know, for the longest time, the big 10 has not allowed night games past a certain point in the season. This allows prime time to be featured and it allows them to do this in a in a place where the elements aren't going to be a big factor. Yes, there could always be that that winter storm around Thanksgiving or whatever, like we like we get sometimes. But this is going to open up some doors to Penn State or not to Penn State, but to the Big Ten, but also Penn State because obviously, you know, even though they're unrivaled, I would expect them to play for the prestigious Langerant Trophy more often than not. Um, but to play that last game there. The Northeast and the Midwest in the winter is not fun. After, you know, late October, it doesn't get to get any better. It gets colder. And obviously with the college football playoff becoming a factor here too, one more game in, an, in a game not decided by the elements is going to be that much more important um, when you're fighting for that type of spot with that much on the line. So I like it. I think it's great for the conference. I think it's great for, for Penn state and Michigan state, especially. Um, but again, you know, it'll be interesting to see how this kind of develops over time because there's so much more that's going to come out with the way these schedules are. And it's one more thing before we get to Indiana. It doesn't, as of right now, it doesn't look like they will be the NBC primetime game or they won't be the NBC primetime game based on some things that have leaked against Ohio state. So that is something to kind of watch out for. I know we've talked about it, the Scarlet out probably being at night, but it's not going to be a night game on NBC. And I'm not quite sure that the Big Ten wants that game competing with something on, on NBC. 
Yeah, so it's probably going to be pigeonholed into a 330 CBS, which, I mean, the great, I mean, you think about all the great CBS matchups that have happened at 330 on CBS, the SEC matchups at 330 that have happened on CBS. The kick six games is, was a 330 start for Auburn. And so it starts in the daytime. You start getting under the lights, probably 435 o'clock, especially in the Northeast. It's going to be after daylight savings time. So you do kind of get that nighttime element. And honestly, you and I have discussed uh, night, night games are the worst for media because the game's not in until 11, 30, 12 o'clock. And then you got to stay up and write or stay up and cover it. I don't write. I, I, I record podcasts, but you got to stay up and write. Um, but if you get the 330 game, it's better for us as a media. And I think it's better for fans that you're just not sitting out. It's safer for fans to not be drinking. It cuts off three or four hours of drinking. And yeah, it's an, that's a, that's a, uh, key factor of tailgates not required but there are definitely a lot of people who uh overindulge for those 730 kickoffs so yeah it's safer for fans right it does it does add that layer of safety um and that week in the big 10 you know you've got wisconsin illinois you've got minnesota iowa michigan michigan state i believe is the game on nbc if i if i remember correctly the northwestern nebraska and Rutgers and indiana that's already at noon so it's very possible that it ends up something else or somewhere else, but you're right. It is safer. I love the three o'clock or four o'clock game. I think it's perfect. Even as a fan, because you get your, the right amount of tailgating in that it, it, it's over at a time where you can either go back and tailgate or you can just head home and go to sleep. And it's a great thing. I love, I love that, that midday time slot, but you're right. I mean, if it's on CBS, I think that's going to be great. Uh, it's going to be great TV. And I think this is a game, obviously it's a must win for Penn State, like we talked about last week. But listen, getting that getting a day game at at the shoe or, or a mid-afternoon game at the shoe is far better than a primetime game at the shoe, too. Yeah, I mean Columbus certainly knows how to party, and the longer they party, the more rowdy they get. So it's a it's a tough environment to play at any time, but certainly uh three thirty would be uh favorable to Penn State. Um I'm kind of, I kind of am bummed that they're not doing the blackout where it looks like nobody's in the stands and you just hear them. Like when they did the blackout at night and like it looked like all the stands were empty and they turned all the lights off in the stands. Um, but yeah, if Ohio State does indeed kick off at three thirty, I think it uh, it does help Penn. It is an advantage Penn State. It takes maybe a half point to a point off the spread uh, of the game because I mean I feel like, I mean the whiteout at seven thirty eight o'clock kicks that's usually worth four or five points. Not yeah. in the spread to Vegas, but to what actually happens yeah. on the field is at least four or five points. So three or four hours in Ohio Stadium has got to be worth a point or two. You know, while we're talking about NBC and we talked about Michigan State, that game will be at 730 and all things considered. I mean, there are things there are possibility games get flexed or whatever, but that game looks like it's going to be at 730 at Ford Ford Field um, on Black Friday. So that that is something to look forward to um, as well. But let's. Let's get to Indiana, right? Indiana broke the hearts of Penn State fans in 2020. I don't think people have gotten over that yet. Um, that was an absolutely wild game, um, to say the least. But I don't think that the Hoosiers are going to be a big problem uh, for the Nittany Lions. No, I don't think so. Um I will always contend that losing that game in the heartbreaking fashion week one of 2020, that's probably what was uh, 
what led to the five game losing streak. You can't blame it on one thing, but man, that had to have uh, absolutely just deflated them uh, morale wise. It's already a tough time in 2020. No one knows them. No one knows what the hell is going on. No one knows how to handle all the situation that's going on. Um, so, but since then, Penn State's bounced back. The last two games, twenty-four nothing, and last last year's forty-five to fourteen matchup. Um, I don't really see this this year being much closer than that. Um, IU played three quarterbacks, and they each and uh, they totaled three interceptions last year. So, uh, this game I think is going to feature. I sorry, sorry to cut you off, but before I forget, no, you're good. But this game is it could be a trap. Right. It depends on how this how Penn State Penn State gets Indiana after Ohio State, which is a big deal. Because if they when they're playing Ohio State, that game could go one of two ways. Obviously a win, then they come out, it could be a letdown against Indiana. If they lose, it could also be a letdown against Indiana. So they've got to come out firing on all cylinders. Uh the good news for them is it's gonna be a home game. I don't foresee this being a night game. Um, based on the Big Ten schedule that week, you've got Michigan State, Minnesota, Purdue, Nebraska, Maryland, Northwestern, Ohio State, Wisconsin. I don't foresee that being a, a, a primetime game, though it's Penn State. Penn State does draw. But at the same time, you got to come out ready to play for this game. It, as much as we can say, sit here and say that on paper they're going to beat them, and I think that they will, It's they got to come out come out early firing on all cylinders. If no matter how that Ohio state game is, um, if it's, if they lose, you got to come out looking for blood, but if they win, you also got to come out looking for blood because now you're in the driver's seat. Um, and if they're able to, to control all of that going into the next three weeks of the season where they've got Maryland, they've got Michigan and they've got Michigan state. That's going to be the same thing in Rutgers as well they are going to be in control of their own destiny. And that, that is what's going to be huge for Penn state, regardless of whether they win or lose it's they've got to come out ready to play against Indiana because it's going to, no matter what, it's going to be the, the catapult for the rest of their season. Yeah, it's, it certainly is. And I, I don't necessarily see it as a trap game looking at the, the schedule ahead, like what comes after Indiana. Um, I could see a letdown, win or lose after Ohio State. There's definitely going to be a letdown. This game could be sloppy, but it's probably going to be a noon game at Beaver Stadium or three thirty game at Beaver Stadium, something like that, to where you're kind of in your own environment, you're comfortable. It's not like you got to then go back. You leave Ohio, you come back to Pennsylvania, and then head over to Bloomington the same week. You get to come home, sleep in your own bed, wake up, meander over to Beaver Stadium, play a game against Indiana. The following week is at Maryland. That's where I think you can get the trap game because then the the week after that is home against Michigan. Granted, that's probably going to be, uh, excuse me, that is a big noon kickoff, so it's another noon home game. But uh, big noon are the worst. Big noon are the worst. But I I don't see Indiana's being that trap game, even though James Franklin's going to um always go with the one and zero mantra. You know, everyone's looking at at the schedule ahead. I think Indiana's no problem. I'm, hopefully I don't have to eat my words on that one by saying no problem. Uh, but it could be a sloppy game, but I see, I see more of Maryland being the trap game in the following week after that, even though yeah. it's, it's just because it's a, it's at home. Right. It, it being at home is I think huge, but again, it all depends on how that Ohio state game is. And and you got to come out hungry R- win or lose against Ohio state, but that is going to determine how they should, how they need to start against, uh, Indiana. If they come out hungry, no matter what, 
it's a good thing for the end of the rest of the season. But if they if they come out flat, it, it could get ugly. And there, and this team has been prone, or this this program has been prone to to rattling off some losses after after an initial loss. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes. But we mentioned Michigan. We're talk, going to talk about Michigan and the state of college athletic when we come back on the Flashing Out podcast in the Sports Now Network. Welcome back to the second segment of the Lashing Out Podcast and the Sports Now Network. He's Kevin. I'm Jared. Kevin, Jimmy Harbaugh got into some trouble over the summer and has been suspended for taking a recruit out to dinner, impermissible uh, dinner and burgers or whatever, um, over COVID. He violated some co- protocols there. He got suspended four games for that. And let me just tell you the four games that he's suspended for for the Michigan Wolverines this year. East Carolina. UNLV, Bowling Green, and Rutgers. Sounds like a college basketball coach suspension. That is four games. They're all home games, mind you. So that's, uh, all right, cool. I don't have to be at the stadium that day. Yeah, damn, I don't have to show up against East Carolina. I don't have to show up to the game for East Carolina that I'm probably going to be checked out. Uh, Autopilot. Without- yeah. Right? Like those four games, the first three especially, are should all be autopilot type games for Michigan. The crazy right? yeah, the crazy thing about the suspension is this is the negotiated amount. A lot of the stuff isn't necessarily the violations. It's that the NCAA believes that Harbaugh lied to he them. He lied to him, yeah. Yeah, he lied to him about everything. And they gave him a they gave him an offer earlier this year, I'm gonna presume probably, you know, March, April time frame. I don't know, but I'm just saying probably four, six months ago. Sign this letter saying that she lied to us and, uh, you know, we might not have to do our damnedest. But then it sounds like he did, and then he, he, doubled, he doubled down and said it didn't lie. He didn't. He didn't sign it. Doubled down, said, man, what are you talking about? I, I didn't lie. I just failed to properly uh, recollect the events that happened. Couldn't remember. Right. Yeah. I couldn't remember. Him. And I it's just like, remember. come on, man. So, like, imagine if he was suspended for eight games. What's Michigan's first or f- eight games or about, four first four, four conference, conference games. games? Yeah. You That's- and I, you and I have always griped that like basketball coach suspensions, football coach suspensions, they always happen at the beginning of the season when they don't freaking matter. Yes. Yeah. And that's, that's my problem with it, right? Like hit it where it hurts, man. Four game, three, three non-conference games are all by games. Like, come on. They're all pay games too, because they're you can you know yeah, right. they're, they're pay games because they're all home. Yeah, right. So like, like hit them where it hurts. Four conference games or two non-con and two conference games, but a four-game suspension where three of them are against teams that are significantly inferior is going to be nothing. It's like okay, I'm going to take the week off this week, this week, and this week. But the but then again, the NCAA wants to say they have all this authority and then they end up not having all that authority. Right. And the fact that he lied about this is hilarious. Like I cannot wait to find this burger joint next year or when I go to, to Ann Arbor or next time I'm in Ann Arbor, but man, like just be honest, dude. <laughs> but this Admit is your mistake. It's not that hard. I mean, I know it's yeah. 2023, but like 
Admit or your see, mistake. Or say you don't remember. Ah, oh, man, that was a couple of years ago. Okay, I used cash, whatever. Yeah. Whatever. It, it is what it is, right? Like, we all make mistakes. That's life. That's, you know. But to go and double down, I think it's hilarious. And then the suspension is just it is, is wonderful, right? I mean, it just does not do a thing. Oh, dang. I just won't take a recruit out for a burger illegally anymore and then lie about it. But at least I can negotiate this plea deal, which is not something that happens all the time. But this is the kind of a microcosm of what's going on in college athletics because college athletics right now is a, is a disaster. You've got the NIL, which we're going to talk about in the third segment. Um, but you've got coaches that are running rampant programs. You know, it came out today that Minnesota is a cult. Um and there are some issues with PJ Fleck. This is the first that I've heard anything about this in the years that he's been at Minnesota. Northwestern continues to blunder and fumble everything that they touch. Um, and more has come out regarding them. And it's just a disaster right now. You know, I know that we we claimed a couple of years ago that everybody wanted the NCAA to not have as much control. You know, um, when when all the sanctions happened at Penn State. Oh, the NCAA had no control over that. That's not fair. Most of those get rescinded. And North Carolina has fake classes. And they're like, well, that's an academic issue. It is what it is. Now they're brushing their hands of pretty much everything. When That's what we asked for, right? That's what fans, that's what people wanted, was the NCAA to wash their hands of a lot of things. And now it's getting to a point where NIL is out of control and the government is trying to step in, which they are probably the last group of people that should be stepping in. Um, you've got coach, coaches and athletic departments that are complete and utter disgraces and disasters. You know, of course, PJ, uh, I think, and, th- and this is, I, I, this, I don't know that this is a fair characterization, but I do think that, that fandom is cultish. You know, I think there is a big thing, uh, like you look at European soccer. I, I think, and this is not a bad thing. I do think it is very cultish. I think the cult of rooting for Chelsea or Man United or Manchester City or Leeds or whoever, I think that type of fandom, the diehard fandom, there is a little bit of a cult type factor. And it's the same in, in sports, right? Pirates. If you're a Pirates fan, I think there's a little bit of a Pirates cult. I think, but that's every team. And I don't say, think that's a terrible, bad thing. But now you're talking about row the boat as a cult. Yeah, well, that's his mantra. That's right? You're going to, to kind of follow PJ Fleck. But now it's saying that he just was an arrogant SOB and, and things that really you don't see um, out, out of this. And then what's weird about this is that nobody has ever said anything until just now. You got all this stuff going at Northwestern and I think this is something that college athletic departments all over the place really need to take a step back and take a look at how their athletic departments operate because if this happens at your school, you're dumb. You need to fix this before it gets out of hand. Yeah, and I'd even contend that your soccer comparison is probably a little bit closer to college athletics, your European uh, soccer comparison to college athletics that versus like American professional sports. I remember I had a friend from Germany, and uh, we went to a Penguins-Flyers game, and we were sitting right next to Flyers fans, and obviously it was there for the Penguins, and it's like, wait, what's the visiting fan doing right next to you? And it's like, oh, yeah, we all sit together. In Germany, 
uh, visiting teams get separated like from the subway in like there's fences and concrete barriers between them. And there's like security on the fence to make sure they're like jumping over the fence, like punching the other side. People saw the side and like you go into the stadium, their whole sections like fenced off and stuff, wild stuff. Um, but yeah, if you want to talk about the NCAA having a spine, how about they not negotiate the suspension for Harbaugh? <laughs> you know, like hand it down, have him appeal. Could you imagine like some of the worst, you know, like um, just do like uh, Tatis Jr. getting the 82 game suspension for for steroids. How about I sit out it, these 82 games? The I'll pick them. I'll hand select them. Yeah. the Right. So like that's the, that's like, how does he get to do that? Is it because he was on Saved by the Bell? Like, is it because he was Screech's cousin or whatever? Uh, I don't know. It's it's wild to me, but. Yeah, it's, and 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 that's like I think that's a great way to put it. I think college football, college athletics as a whole is the wild wild west, because now you've got and I think this is a good segue into the third segment. But the NIL stuff is a disaster, and we're going to talk about that more when we come back on the Lashing Out podcast on the Esports Now Network. Welcome back to the third and final segment of the Lashing Out Podcast on Indie Sports Now Network. I'm Jared. He's Kevin. Kevin, let's talk NIL. And I think there's some cruel irony in one of the senators that, that is trying to get a, an NIL bill passed. And it's Tommy Tuberville, former former coach um, of Arkansas and Auburn. Mm-hmm. And... <laughs> he was not innocent by any means. And it's no shock that he is now a politician. But they're trying to get an NIL deal passed um, that essentially limits their rights and responsibilities and I and, and really kind of reins it in. And the reason why I don't think it's going to fly is because in this bill, it wants people to be there for three years. And that's not going to happen in a lot of different instances. Unless, of course, the coach leaves or gets fired position coach or head coach and there's a family emergency and i just i i think in spirit it has potential but in execution i don't think it's gonna fly uh the ironic part is that it's called the pass act which is protecting athletes schools and sports act uh this does nothing to do that except for the uh insurance mandate i think the insurance mandate will be big um, especially for those playing college football um, probably one of the most unsafe sports out there, especially in terms of head trauma and just physical toll on the body. Um, for your institutions would be required to insure athletes who are uninsured for eight years after they graduate. Uh, I could see that being a slippery slope, uh, potentially bankrupting some uh, uh, athletic departments in some schools, but I mean, Harvard's athletic department doesn't have the biggest budget, but I mean their endowment's what one point six billion or something like that. So I'm sure they could float. I'm sure they could float the bill for a few of their athletes, but um, yeah, and then they have to cover like out of pocket medical expenses for the student athletes while they're in school, which I some of that part is good, but yeah, like you were saying, the three year, uh, cutting down on the transfer portal, making athletes stay there for at least three years. I like the idea. I don't think it's going to pass. Um, I think the transfer portal, as we've talked about, has probably ruined college football at this point in time. 
Um, it's kind of made it. It's ruined the tradition. I won't say it's ruined the actual game. It has ruined the tradition of college football of going, being dedicated to the school. But with coaches, but there's lead- no dedication anymore in high school either. I mean, it's, no. I mean, if you have enough money, you can go play on an AAU team or travel ball or whatever. There's no loyalty anywhere. And I think that obviously trickles down or trickles up to, to college athletics. Now it's the grass is always greener in theory, but it, it but it's not. And I apologize. I said Arkansas, but Tupperville was at Ole Miss. I get my Southern schools confused quite a bit. Um, but yeah, and I mean, I think the uninsured athletes, I think that's great. A lot of those players do have insurance, so I, I don't think that they're going to be um, a big thing there. One of the biggest things I think is super important that this act has is that boosters and collectives were would to be were to be uh, affiliated with the school, yeah. and they can't use that as for recruiting or the portal. I think that is in itself. I think that aspect of it is good. Um, I mean, they can't control coaches buying kids unauthorized cheeseburgers. So how do we uh, expect them to not yeah, use NIL right? for recruiting? But but I think that that is a good way to kind of you know kind of hone it in, and that that's also because it also says the collectives can promote their program assist in recruiting and providing benefits to recruits, athletes, or parents, or parents of athletes, if that collective is associated with the school. So that lessens the burden of a recruiting budget. It does. And it kind of helps on, like, they have to report it all to, like, the FTC and obviously to the IRS and stuff. So it doesn't open these kids up to, like, unexpected tax bills it could probably help them like make sure they're above board on their taxes and they're not getting thrown in jail for tax evasion or failing to pay their taxes and stuff yeah. um it is bad for our boy puff johnson um <laughs> the it does prohibit inducements and pan certain nil agreements such as those that involve alcohol drugs or conflicting with school and conference licenses so uh, he can't go get an endorsement with the local uh smoke shop not that sells- he'd be allowed anyway but, hey, I mean, money's money, man. If they're gonna take it, if they're gonna yeah. pay you fifty grand to be the face of their store, I'm, I'm gonna take it. But that's the thing too, right? Like, I mean, I like the bill in theory. I don't know how feasible it is, but it's getting them there for three years. Um, that's gonna be difficult. Um, for most players, but at the same time, you know, NIL has Brett Bielema said this. It, it, um. At his version, his part of media days, NAIL ends up being good because it keeps guys there. Because, hey, now I don't have to go out and make this financial decision for my family. I'm already making money, so I can wait, improve my stock, and then go. And I think that is important. NIL, in theory, is is good. It's just the wild, wild west, and I think that coupled with the portal, it, it creates a perfect storm of a disaster. Um, and Penn State hasn't been hit hard with this on the football side. Uh, basketball, it, it's been. Kind of, I think a lot of it obviously has to do with the co- with the portal or with the with the coaching change, um, both of them. But it's just one of those situations where something's got to be done, and I don't know what that is to fix it and make it better. This is why this should have been done years ago. Yeah, and for better or for worse, this is going to give. If the bill and granted, this is just a draft. It's just introduced. It's going to be going to committee and going through all the amendment process. Sing the schoolhouse rock song if you need to get need a refresher <laughs> on that. Um, 
Damn, I made the joke and I can't remember where I was going to go with it. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so we'll see. Um, oh, uh, it does give more authority back to the NCAA to actually kind of give them the ability to kind of rein the NIL in because uh, they are going to have to report how much money they spent, report it back to the NCAA when they spent it, what they spent it on. Like you're going to be turning in receipts. It's going to be like turning expense reports to your boss at work. So we'll see how well the NCAA is able to rein this back in if this bill passes, because like you and I have discussed, they definitely need to like Franklin has discussed the teams that were paying people under the table before NIL are the ones leading the pack now. And they just have that much of a, um, a head start on everybody. But uh, did you see our, our boy, uh, Mr. Narduzzi over uh, at Pitt has proposed a uh, college football salary cap on NIL. Um, so what it's a, probably fun, not what a bad. fun, what a fun sucker, man. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's the thing. There's just so many things that I wish were different. Like my, my idea of the way NIL should be was, and I said this when I was in high school, not that I ever had aspirations of playing college football. I was, I'm five, seven, I'm not very fast anymore. Not that I was ever fast, but I knew that my playing days were pretty numbered. But I always thought that if, if say I was in NCAA, say I played for Penn State. All right, my name was in there. Every player that allowed their name to be produced, and I think it should be the player's choice. If they want to, there should be some sort of NCAA Players Association like Major League Baseball, like the NFL, what have you. That money that you make from that game goes into a trust fund for you to get or a savings account or whatever that you get once you complete your academic requirements. That way, number one, you have some something to fall back on at the end of your at the end of your career, at the end of your tenure at, at whatever institution you're at. And then that way, hey, now I have something. And, and it makes it might not be a lot of money. It might be five, ten thousand dollars, fifteen thousand dollars, depending on however that's split up. But at the same time, it's a little bit of something. I know that's not quite the case for every student or every student athlete, but I think that would have gone a long way. Now, do I think you should be able to make a name off yourself? Yeah, absolutely. If I have seventy five thousand followers on Instagram, I should be able to make money off of that. Like yeah. that. If you, that's you know, that's just one of those things. And but they could they could set it up where the first fifty k you get you get in cash, and then any dollar over fifty k they put in that they put in that investment account or savings account for you. It's like yeah. I I I can see like where you don't want to tie up all of their money because like kids do yeah. need spending money. If you play college football, I had a buddy who played at LSU. Even in the summer, he wasn't allowed to have a job, so like he needed spending money throughout the throughout the school year. So. um Definitely, like kids need money while they're in school, even though everything is there for you and provided for you on campus. Uh, you still want to go out and buy a, a new MacBook or some new AirPods or something like that. So, yeah, it's, it's just you know, it, it's an inexact science. They should have rolled this out a little bit better um, than they did, but at the same time, it's the NCAA, and why could we trust them to make the right decision? Yeah, we asked for this. I mean, the fans, uh, whoever asked for the NCAA to take a back seat are, are the exact people that that asked for this. Yeah, and they really did have to take a back seat. If not, Florida, Texas, and California would have been the only three states with NIL, and the rest of the states would have been Orna. 
Florida, Ohio, and California, because that's why Quinn Ewers went to Ohio to get the one year of NIL before it was approved in Texas. But yeah, like those three states would have been ahead of everybody else. And the rest of the 47 states would have been behind the eight ball with not being able to pay players at all. So. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> hey, some athletic departments struggle to pay the bills. Others, you know, can foot the bill for the entire university. So it's college athletics is an imbalanced system. It's the haves and the have nots. And it's going to only get worse, I think, before it gets better. And I think that's kind of the crazy thing with NIL, with the transfer portal. I think hopefully if they can get the transfer portal to settle down, I think NIL won't be as big of a factor just because it won't be used that type of way. But anything anything is possible in this NCAA system that we live in now. Yeah, I think as all the other universities catch up and at least kind of get the imbalance isn't but so great where they can start getting all of these almost like NIL contracts for two or three years, I think then you'll see the transfer portal slow down. Who knows? But until then, it at least gives us something to talk about more often than not on our wonderful podcast. But hey, speaking of stuff to talk about, real quick, Saquon Barkley is in camp for the uh, for the Giants. He got paid. He got $11 million uh, for one year. Hopefully that leads to something long-term. It would be great if it was long-term for somebody outside of the NFC East as a Cowboys fan. Um, it's not always great watching him run all over us twice a year uh, for the Cowboys. Um, but hey, at least Miles Sanders isn't in the division anymore. Uh, yeah, I just wish he had gotten a long-term deal and they would have been able to come to an agreement. I mean, the fact that Saudi Arabia can offer Mbappe uh, $700 million, uh, the for fact him that, to turn it down. For one year, $700 million, so that he can now then go to Real Madrid in the following year. Uh, that's European soccer. We won't get there. But then, like, Jalen Brown gets $69 million in his last year of his Supermax deal. Saquon Markley's barely made that in six, what, five, six seasons in the NFL now. And Jalen Brown could make that five years from now in one singular NBA season. So uh, they definitely have to come up with something different for the salary cap in the NFL Maybe they do three-year deals for running backs. Maybe running backs get to have a better signing bonus. Maybe they get to sign above slot. I mean, we've seen guys like – but the, the problem is is that guys like James Robinson come into the NFL undrafted and set the world on fire for two mm -hmm. or three years when he's unknown out of college, goes undrafted, and then all of a sudden he shows up week one because ETN gets hurt with the Liz Frankfurt. Now he's out for the year, and all of a sudden he's like the number one fantasy running back on – any fantasy league ever. Yeah. Welcome. <laughs> Welcome to athletics, man. Welcome to sports. It is such an imbalanced system. I'll tell you what, man, it's, it's insane, but that's the way that we've made it right. We have all this money tied up into it. All the media rights. It is, it is absurd, but again, we at least get to talk about it more often than not on our wonderful podcast, but that's all we've got for this week. We'll talk again next week where we preview Maryland crab cakes and football. That's what I've been told that Maryland is known for. Kevin, can you confirm or deny that? Uh, Old Bay is a cult. Oh man. Way to tie it into the first <laughs> segment. Or, I'm sorry. Second segment, but Hey, cult or not, I do get Old Bay put on my fries um at curve games so i have that going for me they're called altoona fries 
I'll take your word for it. Hey, maybe if you came up during baseball season, I can treat you to to suit to some Altoona, Altoona fries. But with that said, that's all we've got for this week. For Kevin Quigley, this has been Jared Pergar on the Lashing Out Podcast and the Nike Sports Now Network. Thank you.